Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About. Brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach. And I'm Susanna Gray-Jones, Master Coach for Sales Gravy and owner of Chime Search. I always just feel like going ching, chime. <laughs> ka-ching. Like, like, oh, I like the ka-ching even. Better. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. And it's so funny because everyone that I'm speaking to over here in the UK is like, you keep going into a little American accent when you're trying to be funny. And it's like, <laughs> because I always joke around with Gina and I have my American accent. Um, but yeah. You know what I love when you say Gina? Gina. G is a Gina. Yeah, Gina. Gina. How do you say it? How do you say it? Gina. Yeah, Gina. I don't know. I say it like, <laughs> I say it like I mean it. Like, I mean, I mean business, right? It's interesting. Some of the words that I hear you say, I, I'm always, I'm fascinated by language and I can hear like some of the words and phrases and accents that have come over to America over, you know, even going back to colonial days. Like every time I hear, I've heard you say reckon. Reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Reckon is like such a Southern United States word. Like I reckon. Like that's <laughs> not like that's not a word you would hear in Chicago. It is a very southern. I was like, oh, reckon is reckon comes from like the mother country. Yeah. So for the record, um, <laughs> I I was I was watching Jeb Blount's um, launch of his new book earlier on Instagram, um, selling in a crisis, and I was listening to him talk. By the way, that book is seriously good. That's probably that's my favorite. So good. Yeah, my favorite. That's that's come out. There's so many, there's so many nuggets in that one. It's because it's so easy to read and I'm a so bit easy. simple. I'm a bit simple sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so, I, I, feel, I think it's one of his best. Nuggetable, like you say, nuggetable. Nuggetable. He, um, <laughs> he said, one of the things he said today, if you listen to his, his video on YouTube or wherever, selling in a crisis, he says, because, because, say because. Because. Because you say it like an American, but he said it like because. I was like, I wonder if that was my influence from Outbound, my English coming out. Oh, it's an English thing, huh? <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Yeah, well, apparently we sound smarter than you guys. So, oh, you know, gosh, I'll, so. I'll play with that. I'll play with that. <laughs> <laughs> what could I do? What can okay. I do? I've got to do something to sound smarter. But um, am I allowed to talk about something that's been on my mind? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> What's on your mind? Because I got some things on my mind. Well, since Outbound, actually, um, it was since I did my, because I did attracting um, A-grade recruiting candidates and a few audience members who we already knew came to listen in and their feedback was really positive. But one thing they said, we wish that you had time for, there wasn't enough time. We couldn't have done it. But if I had time, They'd have loved it if I went a bit more into how to retain staff, okay? Because then mm. we wouldn't even be in the recruiting minefield um, that we're in. And despite some of my awesome clients who I work with being great companies to work for, they would probably prefer to retain their vendor staff than to use me as often as they do. So mm -hmm. it's got me thinking about writing some content on retaining staff before the panic, mm. before the panic recruiting. Mm -hmm. um, and I bet you've got some wisdom, nuggetable mentions on this. Um, I might have a couple. I... Other than Sales Gravy, where's the company that you've worked for or 
worked with whom you've noticed has had the most impressive retention or culture of staff? I always go back to Zappos. Now, mm-hmm. I had done a ton of study and research on cultures um, back when I started my training company in a long time ago, 2012. So when I... 1943. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I started, when I started training and started a training company, the focus was on culture, leadership, team. So that's how the company started, was based on all of that. And I learned a lot along the way with clients in, in the struggles that they were having. And I did a lot of training around recruiting and retention, not recruiting how you recruit, but creating a culture that is attractive to employees. And then how do you lay out the groundwork to retain them? So I went on a mission to really understand it and study it. And that brought me to Zappos.com. And Zappos, um, which got acquired by Amazon years ago, and their um, visionary CEO, Tony Shea, died a couple of years ago, actually, during COVID. They really came up with this amazing culture and a lot of it's based on core values and mission and vision, and that's also important in culture. But they created this culture that then turned into a spinoff business called nice. Zappos Insights. And Zappos Insights. Zappos Insights. Insights, yeah. Focuses on, and I, I think they're they're not doing it right now because I looked at their website re- recently on it and they're kind of like on a hiatus. And I don't know if that's because of Tony's passing, but they were actually hosting a variety of like three-day boot camps where you could go to Zappos in Las Vegas and and be there on their campus and observe and learn from them on how they recruit, <laughs> how they retain. And that entire culture, there's there's so much behind that culture from education and professional development. And they have their own university, Zappos University, where you could take classes. Um Tony Shea was a visionary in downtown um, Las Vegas and created housing for his employees so that they could live affordably. You know, Vegas doesn't have income tax. So even though you started the company at $15 an hour back then um, in in a state without income tax, not that bad. But then he created housing that was like, you know, you could rent an apartment for $600 a month and then walk to work and you go to work and they feed, you know, they have breakfast and lunch that you never got to pay for and they have a gym and you can go into the community and volunteer and get paid and like you're on the clock and you can take classes on the clock and they better be, they better be good employees getting all that. Right. Well, and that's just it in their, in, in their culture camps that you could attend. Like I shadowed employees and watched their, you know, like for Zappos particularly, their their um their mission is to give the best customer service. That's it. Mm-hmm. To give our customers the best service. That was their why. Mm-hmm. And in their core values, right? Those employees had the core values memorized. Almost it was like a cult. Yes. So when when they were making decisions that affected customers. Right. So their call center, all US, 24 hours a day in Las Vegas. Right. So three shifts a day. The calls that come into the call center are usually calls that they had a problem with their order. Mm-hmm. So 
that's, you know, that's what's coming in, right? Those are the calls coming in and only mm-hmm. 3% of their customers have problems. So the calls that are coming in 24 hours 3%, a day. 3%, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I don't know how I remember all these stats, but I think I was just astounded by it. So imagine you didn't get your shoes and you call and you're like, I didn't get my shoes. And that person answers and is like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Okay, let me, hold on, let me look. And they got like two monitors on their desk. Everybody does. Yeah. And they're in this big open room and she's like, okay, I, I found, I found the pair, an exact pair that you had ordered. Like the customer said, the box is empty. Right. The, my box came and there were no shoes in it. So girl's like, no problem. I, I, I have another pair coming to you. Um, I'm sending you a coupon so you can get the next pair for free. Like, you know, all these things she throws in and gets off the phone. And I go, I'm like, I got to ask you, how do you know she's not lying? Yeah. Right. So that's my like cynical side. And the woman was like, Gina trusts no one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the woman goes, it's not my place to question it. And that's fair. You know, that's fair because that's, I suppose, oh, I feel something coming into my mind. So she's like, customer's always right. Well, right. It was like, well, according to core value number six, right. And she recites the core value that I don't remember, but she Mm. recites the core value of like, you know, this is what we live by. And I, was fascinated by it because if you if you lay that foundation down and there's so much more that goes into everything that they do and how you get when you when you interview there for like a CFO job you you still start out in the call center mm-hmm. right and then you're you get trained so that everybody understands the the core level job mm-hmm. and then after a month they offer to pay you to quit wow they offer to pay you to quit. And at that time, I think it was $2,000. Like, if you leave, we'll give you $2,000 we'll to leave. Why? Yeah, I was hoping you're going to ask that. Because you know what? It, it, they may have gotten into it and realized it wasn't the job for them, but now they're in it. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm in it. And so they're in it. Maybe they're not happy. They're not going to quit because they don't have another job lined up. And so they're probably going to look for another job while they keep this job. But while they keep this job for a check, they're really not that productive. That's what we call garden leave over here. Do you call that garden leave? What is it? Garden leave. What is garden leave? What is that? (laughs) So it's like where, say, for example, I was working for a sales company, went to join a competitor and they didn't want me to work my notice period because I'm I would have be privy to information that I could use. Yeah. They put you on paid leave, which we call yeah. gardening leave. Now I have no idea why it's called gardening leave, but yeah, I think it's the same thing. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the US companies do that too, like especially in, in salaried especially in sales. Like you can leave now. <laughs> we'll yeah. we'll pay you but you got to go. But in this situation, the reason why they were paying them to leave is because the productivity wasn't going to be there in a job that didn't fit for them. And they were just going to kind of, you know, check in and not really be fully there. So it's a way of um, understanding. So it's like, let's just pay you to take time off to go find the right job. I love that. And they know that I can't believe it. They, and they, and, and so the next question was what percentage of people quit? Take a guess. Oh, testing me. What percentage um, took the money? Zero. Two percent. 
2%. So I knew it was going to be a little, and I'm not surprised. 2%. Reverse psychology. So what does that, what, what does that also tell you? What does that tell you that only 2% left? It tells you that it doesn't matter what payout they would get. They would prefer to be working in the company than not because it's not worth that 2000 whatever to work. Yeah, well, what else, what, what else does it tell you? It, it, there's more to it. There's more to it. You should know this. You should know this. It tells you that they feel valued. Um, and that's no, why they want to no, say no, no. The reason only 2% leaves, like there's a, the, you, oh, about- you mean, why are those 2% people leaving? Why is only 2% or why there are 2%? Why is it only 2%? Um, for the reasons I just told you. Okay. Right? All right. Okay. You're now picking up my hands because people are relocating. No, <laughs> this is about recruiting. They, re- they they put the time in up front to recruit right. They uh, recruit. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. So I imagine see where you're going with this now. I see where you're going. Let's just say fifty percent took the buyout. Then the recruiters sucked. Then you yes, didn't recruit and, well. And though you know, it doesn't matter sometimes who you recruit if you're not looking after them well. So it's got to be two things, right? Recruiting well. But I'm a huge advocate that you have to recruit well first. Yeah. And I agree completely with that. Completely. You have to recruit well first. You have to get the right people, the right fit, the right people in the right seat on the bus and the right bus. And then it doesn't stop there. You continue to create a culture and an environment that they do not want to leave, that they become loyal to. It is two part, but it starts with the recruiting. And I think the recruiting gets ignored what did they say was their secret for the recruiting side? Because they they created a culture. How? So, well, understanding what employees want and need, right? So, so Tony Shea was big on surveying his employees, even when he was designing his core values, right? He didn't do it right away. You can't do it at the beginning of a startup company. A company changes a lot. He eventually got their their buy-in of like, what do you think the culture is? And then they kind of crafted it from there and then understood what motivated employees, what kept employees happy. You and I talked about this hierarchical needs, right? You, you have to, you know, when, when people feel safe physically, emotionally, financially, when they've got a roof over their head and food and you know, all of those things, all of those things matter mm-hmm. to the productivity, and so they did create that environment of like, all right, we feed you, we give you housing that you can afford, we give you education, right? So if you start out, let's just say on, you know, in the answering phones, yeah. you can actually take courses in how to become a, a, a merchant, like a buyer, like a merchandise buyer, right? Yeah. You, you have opportunity to take accounting classes, right? You have all that professional development to step up. So you've got upward mobility. You can give back to the community. Right? You're, they're providing all the things that motivate people. And do you know what I love most about that? That example that you just gave is the fact that they didn't just give them values that they have to adhere to. They were enabled them to help them come up with those values. Yeah. And I'm going to add that to my presentation <laughs> that I've done on attracting um, sales candidates because that's the first thing that I always ask any company that I'm working with on a recruitment project, I say, what is your mission statement? Mm -hmm. And then they'll often have to think about it. 
And that's for me, the first kind of, mm, that should be at the forefront of yep. everything you do every day. Yep. And the thing that properly, properly scares me is that sometimes, and this is what I was trying to get across in my, in my um, workshop at Outbound, spend time note being creative about what it is that draws people to your company. What do people love about your company? Create that mission statement. Like you said, let's get them involved in that and then set everything around that. And that Mm -hmm. starts with your interview process, right? Yeah. I know you don't like it when I come prepared, (laughs) but in my head, (laughs) in my head, I wrote down for me what the four most important things are when you're maintaining staff, okay? So number one, I thought was the competencies. You love it when I say competencies in my English accent. (laughs) Competencies, like competencies. Competencies. They need to know from day one, what they're going to be measured against, okay? Because so many people go into roles and they they will call me up or they'll pull up their recruiter. They'll be like, oh, I don't know how I'm doing. You know, there should always be a way of judging yourself about what the expectations are and where you are against that. Yeah. And it sounds obvious. And it sounds so obvious. And the reason I keep singing about it all the way over here from the UK is because I can tell you companies aren't doing it. And if they are doing it, it's not something that everyone's aware of that exists. <laughs> And it's not something that someone knows how to measure themselves against. 100%. I run into so many people in companies that don't. Yeah. And the competency should be linked to the values, right? And people want it. I mean, Jeb talks about this. You have to align, you have to align the individual contributors' values to the company values. Yeah. And so you need to understand their individual values. And then do, do their values match up? Yeah. And I think that's a big part in the recruiting process, because if your values don't match up with the company's values, you're ultimately going to not be happy and not produce. Yes. And to dig deep, don't take it at face value that they say, yeah, those are my values too. Because when people want roles or they think they want something, they will, they will lie. Not to be negative, but you have to get them to give examples and see how ready they are. And if you're interviewing, be ready with the examples. Well, that's why I'm a huge believer in behavioral style questioning for interviews. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people are good at that either. Yeah. Because behaviors are separate from personalities, but that's another Mm -hmm. story. My my second one was progression plan. Mm, What I need to do. That is big. And you use that in your example. Mm -hmm. Like how... Yes, they might want to progress, but how are you offering them yep. the chances to progress and to reach their potential? Yep. Um, the financials. Um, how many people call me up and say I was promised a pay rise? I thought I'd have a pay rise, but now I haven't had a pay rise for three years. What's going on? And um, it doesn't happen, right? And they're like, well, why? Why hasn't it happened? Like, And then they come to me and they say, find me out of the job and get me more money. And at that point, as a recruiter, I always say, "Mm -mm, if it's just the money, go and speak to them because, and you might think I'm mad saying that, but they're wasting my time and their time. They're not a candidate unless they've had that conversation because you just lose them to counter offers and it's the desperation. And then my fourth one is, guess, since you're making me work. I don't know. Since you're making me work. Open door policy, which Ooh. is, this is about trust, right? So it's yeah. about having that, if there's ever anything that you're worried about, you know, my door's always open and being approachable and knowing that you can speak to me no matter yeah. what, because my people matter most. And that the company that I 
love recruiting for are the ones that stick to that because in everything they do, our people matter most. It's freaking hard to get a job there, right? But once you're in, they will back you no matter what. So even I, if you're like gonna, I want to I add something to the open door policy. Yeah, go for it. I want to call it the reverse open door policy. Tell me more. Tell so, me more. So, so many leaders are, are quick to say, we have, I have an open door policy. You can come talk to me anytime. Yeah. And then that leader is just so busy, right? And what if the leader reversed that process and went out the door into the trenches and said, hey, Susanna, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm okay. Thank you, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is where emotional intelligence comes in and you have to have your pulse on on the culture and the environment and your team, know them, understand them, spend a little time getting to know them. They may not come to you for an open door policy because they are embarrassed or uncomfortable or um, insecure or think you're going to think less of them or a number of reasons or they don't want to see people going through the open door. Well, that's good. There are all kinds of reasons why they may not come to the open door. Yeah. Or the leader says there's an open door, but there really isn't based on behavior. So what if this was a two-way street and you actually, you sparked the conversation as the leader? Mm, leader. As the, the leader, leader mm-hmm. not the manager. Those are a few different things, right? Yep. Some yeah. of the leaders are there literally for the people and that is enough. Yeah. Be <laughs> the leader and check in with someone. Like it's, you know, with a lot of my coaching clients, like I can get on a, get on a coaching call with them. And I, the second I look at them on zoom, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, you always, <sighs> you always know. He's like, you always know. I go, I see it on your face and I hear it in your voice. I'm like, something is different. He's like, oh, okay. And that's over zoom. And that's over zoom. It's impressive. I know in the first 10 seconds that something's off. Something's different and I address it immediately. And usually stuff comes out that if I didn't, if I hadn't opened, here's the thing, open door policy, you open the door as the leader. Yeah. I have an open door policy. I open the door. That's great. I like that. I like that addition. Now I think about it. I'm thinking that I, you might not agree with this. I don't know what the listeners will think either, but I think the highest performing team I've ever had when I was a relatively new manager was probably when I was giving the most hugs <laughs> to people. <laughs> we used to have this boardroom and we used to... Why would you say, think I'd not like that? I love hugs. <laughs> people used to say to me, and you know, I, I'm as a manager, I was definitely not scared to be firm with people when they needed firmness. But sometimes I, I, was, I remember thinking, oh, she never... Sometimes people would just find... It was... The role that we were working in was like 7 a.m. until 6 p.m., right? If you're really busy. So that's a long hours here in the UK. We're not like you Americans. And I'd have these young, really young, like grads who were just starting out and they wanted to do well. And there would be a difficult day as in recruitment. You send a candidate out to interview. They don't turn up. The client's angry with you. And it can just get a bit much for you sometimes. I remember like sometimes they would just look at me and I just point to the boardroom and they'd be like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> they would just burst. I, it would only happen once with the people, but everyone at one point burst into tears and they just needed a hug. And then they would move away, get on with it, and they'd somehow be re-energized. I remember thinking it was bizarre. I was wondering to myself, does this make me a good manager? Because on my team just getting burned out, but now I'm a bit older and I see that actually the role of recruitment, sometimes people do just need that side from their manager, that kind of soft yep. side of like I agree. And I I have a tendency to to lean towards that side too much. I haven't ever had a help from you, have I? Only going <laughs> saying goodbye or hello. You then know I, I love Ooh, you first. Yeah, I was just say you need not around me a lot. That is true. But I'm a I'm a hugger and I'm a get too involved with other people that aren't even on my team because I worry about I want people to I want the environment to be happy and healthy and fun and I want everyone to feel good. And sometimes I get involved when I shouldn't get involved. Oh, oh, you're one of those people, are you? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's just I guess it's it's coming from too having much hugging. No, I mean, it's it comes from having led and managed teams and yeah. have to and have to have teams work well together. I mean, I had a team where, you know, it was like primarily women and leaders and then we'd all be in the same room and they're not getting along. And I would usually bring in a box of Kleenex and I'm like, all right, let's, we're going to hug it out. We're going to cry it out. We're going to, you know, I would have to bring them all together. So here's the thing. There's a soft side to me and there's a, there's a rough side to me. The rough side to me, the D in the disc of me is like, shit has to happen. Things have to get done. I don't got time for this. I'm not a detail person. Do it. Right. Which can be a little rough around the edges for some people. The I in me, or sometimes, yeah, I would say the I wants everybody to have a good time. The I in <laughs> me wants to take care of people mm -hmm. because I know that when people are taken care of, Right. It's sort of like hospitality and customer service. When people are taken care of, they're going to be happy and they're going to produce. So the D in mm. me wants the I to make sure that everybody is happy and producing because in the end game, I win. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a selfish side to it. <laughs> that if be I take, honest. But if, yeah, well, if I take care of you, you're going to take care of me. Yeah. Which and is an that. improv thing, right? It's the number one rule in improv. Make the other person look good because if I do that, I'll automatically look good. You'll feel good. Then you'll then produce and then you'll make me look good again. Yes, I love that. I, You know, I love polls. You do polls. love polls. Not that everybody be of, clear. Not that kind of poll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she doesn't mean dancing on a pole. I don't mean dancing on a pole. Maybe that's a new, uh, a new activity for me. Not. Um, I love a good pole and I, I put one out and I said, what do you want most from your employer? And I think I had about seven options and the ones that came up massively from the majority. And we're talking of, you know, at least 500 responses, which would be understood and to feel valued. Mm -hmm. Right. So with all my coaching clients that I've had, around management in the past, I've always brought them back to that. You know, when you have that difficult meeting, how can you make them feel understood? And how can you make them feel valued? Whatever it is, whether it's something that's a performance issue, when it's something that is a disciplinary issue, are they be feeling understood? Are they feeling yeah. valued? Because once you get those two right, you can pretty much get a message across a lot softer. 
if you get things. Everybody wants to feel like they have a voice. Yeah. Everybody wants to have a voice and have a have some kind of say. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But I think, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to sit here and and kind of read the book on on how to retain staff. But I just wish that companies invested more time in it and had like a policy and a strategy around it instead of just being on the panic roller coaster of desperation. We need to recruit and fast. I want to share an interesting story with you. So I was talking to someone who has just brought on two new salespeople. Actually, they haven't even started yet. They're starting in two weeks and they're growing the company. They brought in these two salespeople and his concern, this is like, I felt like an idiot asking questions, but I wasn't sure I was hearing it right. His concern is that they're not going to be very good salespeople and that they are just B players. They what haven't they started mean? yet. What players? Like players? Like when we say a B player, like an A player, a B player, they're not going to be a good salesperson. Well, they're going to oh. be just an average salesperson. They're not going to be, they're not going to be a high performer, right? Which would be yeah. A. Yeah. Right. And he's like, they're both going to be B players. And I'm like, I just sat there and I'm like, okay. What comes to mind when someone tells you, I just hired two new people. They haven't started yet. And my concern is that they're going to be B players. I'm, and, he, and he's like, and I'm pretty sure they're going to both be B players. Well, you've already basically uh, made the hole. I mean, what, what, what do you think when you hear someone <laughs> tell you to that? fall into? What comes to mind? I think that they're not looking at it in the right way. I think wait until they started. Wait until you've got to know them because you recruited them. If you recruited them, that's I think they're deep players. Then why did you recruit them in say. the first place? Why did you hire them in the first place? Hashtag please. If you think they're a B player, so Keith wrote this mm-hmm. article recently, and Keith from Keith Libner from SalesGovery, absolute whiz of a man. Um, he he wrote this article about how you don't want to have, well, you almost don't want to have too many A. Because he talked mm-hmm. about the tendencies that they can sometimes not work as part of a team, um, and they can be more like mavericks and just out from yeah, sometimes true. like an ancestral team. And I was like, yes, he's spot on. Um, but for me, and this is one thing that I said in my workshop, is that an A grade candidate. Let's not base them just on performance. Let's base them on attitude and the rest. Not all great performers, in my eyes are mavericks like you can have some beauty performers who have the perfect attitudes mindsets positivity all the rest but Mm -hmm. make them into a's that's where the sweet spot is in my eyes is Mm -hmm. um and it is pretty much agreeing with what he said but i think for me an a-grade candidate is not a candidate who is necessarily a cutthroat top biller. It is somebody who has the right attributes when it comes to mindset in the first place. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that involves working as part of a team. But wait, there's more. So so these two players, to these these two players, of course they've got a board of advisors and consultants and yada yada yada. And so he's like, here's the other thing. Our consultant that we're working with said that hundred percent guarantee one of them is going to be gone in three months. They're not going to make it. 
and then went on to describe the characteristics and all the background about these two individual people that haven't started yet that really kind of broke it down of like are they gonna even be hungry enough to sell and um one who is very clear on not being good at prospecting even though she's been in sales for 20 years but that it was because of a variety of reasons of her past employer that she wasn't a good prospector well my my uh my answer to that is you're bringing someone in mm-hmm. and you're basically putting them through the trial right and my my mindset is that if you bring someone in, you set them up to succeed. You bring them in and you have their back. Yeah. You know, and that's what people want to feel. We talk about it in coaching all the time. They want to feel like you've got their back from day one. Because yeah. if you're feeling paranoid or you're feeling like, actually, I've got three months, I've got to make a good impression, then are you likely to perform? I would say definitely not. Some people might perform really well under that kind of pressure. In my experience, I would say probably 75% of people won't. Um, and what are you doing as an organization if you're having that hiring and firing policy of let's get them through the door, give them a trial? You're just sending your people out to the fail and you're missing out on 75% of people who could have hidden nuggets of talent. My my concern, my concern for them is that his underlying feelings will impact his perspective Mm -hmm. right because he's already going in right it's sort of like it's like again it's like relationships and dating right Mm -hmm. when you when you bring on new employees and you're excited or you're joining a new company and you're excited and there's that honeymoon phase and like oh my gosh this is going to be the best salesperson ever or this is going to be the best company ever and like you're so excited like you're, you're dating it's the beginning but if you're walking into it with I don't know. Gonna gonna go out with him anyway, even though just kind of a B player, kind of a boyfriend. Yep. I'm gonna settle. My concern for them is that that is going to be stuck in the mindset. And then you're, you know, it goes back to negativity bias too. Like you're expecting them to not be great. Yeah. Yes. If you set them up for success, then awesome go into it with that mindset you know what they're not a that's okay right there's there's different philosophies do we hire someone that doesn't have a lot of experience we can break them a bad habits and patterns and we give them the tools and we make them rock stars and yay us right that's cool that's awesome go making yourself accountable for their success after making exactly go into it with like they are they are total b players and i am totally excited about this Versus mm. these are B players and I'm really worried. Yes. And anybody who's looking for a job or who is considering looking for a job in the future, who's listening to this, I would urge them to think about what type of questions can you ask your potential employer mm-hmm. to find out whether they are the type of employer who will be accountable as well for your access, or they'll yes. just hold you accountable yep. from day one. And I think that's it. I think yeah, uh, this is why a lot of people don't stay in sales because they have that negative experience of I'm going to be fired if I don't hit quota. Yeah. And it's sad because I love sales and any day I would pick sales over another profession. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, there's a lot of sales people out there 
in their graves, not realizing that they are superstars. And I, if there's just one person listening to this episode who thinks, do you know what? Yeah, I'm a salesperson. I think I'm just in the wrong environment. I don't want to leave sales. Then awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I remember a, a prospect talking to a prospect who was interested potentially in a sales coach. And, um, and she said to me, I don't, I don't even think, I don't know if I want to stay in sales. I'm like, you probably shouldn't hire a sales coach if you're not going to stay in sales. Like it was a really bizarre conversation. She ultimately said she, she decided to leave sales. Like she wasn't staying in sales, but I mean, I guess she was like trying to look for every possible silver bullet or way to save herself or I mean I've had people say I, I I'm thinking about a sales coach because they said I'm going to get fired in three months if I don't bring money in and like they're making no money so of course they don't have money for a sales coach but they're they're getting desperate yeah but a lot of times that's a situation where they don't to your point they don't have the support yeah. I've been talking to a lot of um prospects that just don't have the bandwidth and they want like a, a fractional sales director to help manage their team. Yeah. Because they don't have the bandwidth. Oh, do you know what? You've really got me thinking now. Positive sales stories for people who are thinking of leaving sales. Ooh. It could be a book. It could be, an, it could be a series of blogs. Ooh. Like what I was, how I was treated at this awesome company and how I grew my sales career. Oh, I love that idea. Well, look, Jeff Bajorak, who's been on our um, podcast before, he never thought he was a salesperson. How many mm -hmm. superstars do we speak to on a daily basis who thought they were never going to be yeah, salespeople? I've said the same thing. Yeah. And I just talked to a superstar. prospect. I just talked to a prospect yesterday. Same thing. Like he never thought he'd be in sales. And now he works for this huge medical device company. And we both had that in common, which yeah. by the way, I met, met him in a bar when I was traveling. That's how I <laughs> met this prospect. I mean, nice. that sounds weird. What you know, like when I travel in business, I in usually, some seedy bar. Yeah, no, yeah. I usually <laughs> eat. Din I usually eat dinner at the bar, right? And that's nice. where you know other business people on business are just sitting, and then you. I love that, by the way. I love that your chat. confidence. I'm the same. I, you know, when I'm traveling for work, I, I would go to cinema on my own. There are lots of people who, yeah, are scared to do that, and I. I embrace it. I embrace it. Go I, to love, I, I love the idea. Own. I love the idea of the positive sales stories, especially for those people who never, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm curious here. You love polls. I want you to take a poll. Okay. I want you to okay. do a LinkedIn poll. Yeah. You can kind of, you know, make the question better, but I want to know what percentage of salespeople thought they would never be salespeople. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'll report back in our next okay. episode. Yeah, I'm curious. Because I think there are um, a lot of us out there. And of course, I'm highly biased that anyone creative, right? I think creatives are the best salespeople. I actually have research that backs that up. And those are, you know, you think about creatives, they're like, they're, that's, like you think about like when I was a starving actress trying to get an agent and, then realize I like putting food on the table. I'm like, forget this. Try to be a famous actress thing. All of those starving actors, there's so many of them and there's such a small percentage of them that make it and they're waiting tables. So they're selling like somebody should be out recruiting those young actors trying to get famous in those cities 
and recruit them into sales. Yeah, I do that. I do that. Don't give away all my secrets, but um, I I want to be like, you know, like you could be like a talent agent. Like I did some casting and talent agency work early in my career. Maybe it could be like a casting agent for salespeople. Yeah. But you've got to get them at the right point because it's also worked against me. I've recruited sales. I, I think that actors can be some of the best salespeople around. But unfortunately, the way the system works in the UK is that a lot of people who can train to be actors are very privileged and they've already got quite a lot of money yeah. behind them. Yeah. So they don't have that drive and then not they're always the distracted. Not here really? in the US. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That privilege does not exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think actors are adaptable. They can be phenomenal, but not always. Um, I think you've got to get them at the right point. Yeah. Get them at the desperation point. But honestly, <laughs> why aren't we? Why aren't we? I never knew sales was a career. I don't know what it's like over there in the USA. Yeah. But I never knew that you could actually make a career out of sales, like in, in the way that we have. And I think that's one thing that I'm going to make sure that my kids know about. And I hope that schools will start preparing people for sales careers because I was told that if I didn't get all of my A levels, A, that I would end up working for a supermarket, which is absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with working for a supermarket. But I was basically told by my teachers that's all I would amount to if I didn't pass my A-levels. That, that was not true. I could have been a salesperson with or without my A-levels. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So inspired. So inspired. I'm going to be putting some good stuff on LinkedIn after this. Would you like a riddle? I would like a riddle. Is riddle me? Do you know what I'm? Do you know what I'm saying when I say riddle me this, Batman? Do you understand no. that? No. Have you watched any Batman movies? No. Oh my god! Have you? Do you know Batman at all? Unfortunately, not. Like that was something that I missed. Like okay. explain it for the listeners. Who all right, like there's, me. A, and I'm not big into all this superhero Marvel. I don't even know what my husband would kill me on this, but so Bat. One of Batman's enemies is the Riddler. Yeah. You need to go look it up because the Riddler is always telling riddles. Yeah. So the Batman's got to figure out what crime is happening. All right. So Ah. what's your riddle? You'll love this one. In fact, I've only just seen it. You've got a guess to answer, right? (laughs) So people need me to buy things. What am I? People need me to buy things. Money. What am I? Money. No. Desire. Dough. Dough. Oh. People need me. I got it. <laughs> I thought it was quite a good one. Wait, I wanted, is there another one? Give me another yeah, one. So many. Another one. Oh, that's a bit morbid, that one. We won't have that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many bananas can you eat if your stomach is empty? How many? Bananas can you eat if your stomach is empty? 30. Good guess. But the answer is just one, because after that, your stomach is no longer empty. Oh, oh. man. All right. Okay. Oh, I we love need, riddles. I only just okay, got into them. Okay, we need more riddles, because that gets we can, my... We'll start to get Christmassy as well as we move towards okay. December. And then December. we can, can we do like a line of a Christmas carol or something at the end? I don't know. Uh, sure. No. Okay. You're lame, Susanna. No, You're lame. I'm... Yes, and whatever you want. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Andy. Oh, Don't yes, yes Andy. Andy. I know your game. I'm game for anything. <laughs> I'm, and, but right now, I am game for dinner. 
I am game for sleep. Yep. So I, I'm curious what the husband is cooking for dinner tonight. So this is day off and he's cooking. <laughs> he's, he cooks on his, he cooks every night. What am I talking about? I'm spoiled. <laughs> banana. Banana. Maybe we're having, well, you know, that's what got me. His banana bread. Dough. His dough. dough. Yep. His, <laughs> his dough and his banana bread. All right, Warners, we got to go. We got to wrap it up. She's got to go to bed. I got to go to dinner. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About. Brought to you by Sales Gravy. Hey, up-level your game at salesgravy.university. We've got all kinds of live courses and on-demand courses that will take you to the next level in your sales career. Susanna's got courses there. I've got courses there. There's all kinds of courses there. Go check it out. And for more information about our show, women your mother warned you about.com or salesgravy.com. Any final words, Miss Graychell? Not tonight. I'll be counting those sheep to get to the sleep. Okay. Bye. <laughs> oh, <Warners>. dear. <laughs>